You're listening to a Philly Sports Nation production, enhancing your Philly sports experience. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Birds Banter Podcast. This is your host, Matt Loopy. Again, this show is presented to you by PHLSportsNation.com for all of your Philadelphia sports needs. And this show is also sponsored by Anchor. So as you can see in the episode description, I titled it the worst Sunday of the year. And that's just because football season's over. We're officially getting to the offseason of the entire NFL, which is exciting, but at the same time, no football is getting played. I know that the XFL is coming into full swing. Um, Saturday, it was it began, and I didn't get a chance to watch any of the games, but I heard a lot of good things about it. I'm looking forward to watching it in the future. Um, so there's football in that sense, but NFL football still isn't going to be around until September. Um, the draft is going to be underway soon in April, free agency in March, and then... Over the summer, you got training camp, preseason, and all of that good stuff. But until regular season, it's a very, very long stretch. And there's going to be a lot of speculation going around the Eagles for draft topics, free agent topics. And then once we get the full team together, it's going to be a lot of talk about who's going to be playing the most, what our expectations are. So there's not a whole lot going on right now with the Eagles. I just wanted to kind of take a moment and talk about... um, you know, the Super Bowl with the Chiefs winning. I want to talk about the expectations for early next for next season, like way too early expectations, way too early predictions. I'm not going to go full in depth because uh, I don't want to like put my words out there and then always change them up. So I'm going to just give you some broad expectations for the season. Then I'm going to unveil my analysis from the all or nothing documentary i end up just finishing that sunday afternoon after it was released on friday i know like watching all eight episodes in a span of two or three days kind of crazy but uh you know what i'm sure most eagles fans were doing the same thing because it was really good to see the team out there and uh what it looked like behind the scenes but also reliving the entire season there was good there was bad but i'll tell you what i saw um if you haven't watched the documentary yet it's okay you can still listen to this because it's not like there's going to be any spoilers. You know how the season went. Obviously, there's more tidbits in there than you can see from the naked eye during the season. But uh, if you haven't watched it yet, just tune in, and then you can hear whatever I picked up on. So when you go and watch it, then you can see, okay, now I'm going to look out for this. I'm going to look out for that. And you can kind of amplify it a little bit more. But if you have already watched it, we can you know compare notes a little bit and see Uh, what you saw, what I saw, and then we can just get a full analysis. So that's definitely going to be a fun discussion. And then, like I said last week with the whole chill your take segment, how there's not been many hot takes out there. Well, I have seen a little bit. So we're going to end things off with a chill your take segment. Looking forward to that. But uh, first of all, the Super Bowl. So the Chiefs beat the 49ers in Super Bowl 54. And I was really happy because obviously from an Eagles fan standpoint, Everybody wanted Andy Reid to finally get his Super Bowl ring. They lost to the Patriots. Andy Reid, obviously, was the coach for the Eagles back uh, in years past before Chip Kelly and Doug Peterson. And back in 2004, the Eagles faced off against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Didn't go as planned. You know, the Patriots started their dynasty. The Eagles fell. Uh, very close game, but ended up losing that game. And Andy Reid struggled ever since then ended up leaving the Eagles organization just because it was time for both both sides to move on. So he gets this uh, gig in Kansas City. He ends up getting a phenomenal quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, finally getting him up to speed. And his, fresh, or his uh, rookie year in the league didn't really play much, but man, that second and third year was special. He ended with, uh, so far in his career, he's got MVP from the league and then also Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion, 
breaking a bunch of records on the way. So just a phenomenal athlete. I'm glad that Andy Reid has that kind of talent to pair with his phenomenal coaching uh, viewpoints and his coaching skill. So it was it was really good to see him win, and it was awesome to see the entire city of Philly, Philadelphia behind him because, you know, there's that, <clears throat> excuse me, that tall building in Philly. I forget exactly what the building, what what's in it, but the tallest one always is lit up in support of whatever is going on. It was green for a couple Eagles games after the victories in the playoffs. Um, it was purple after Kobe Bryant passed away. And then the day of the Super Bowl, it lit up red for the 49ers. I mean, not the 49ers, the Chiefs. I'm sorry uh, for the Chiefs and Andy Reid. So the whole city was behind him. And on campus at Temple, all the students, mostly Eagles fans, were just saying, like, I want Andy Reid to do it. And it was almost like it was becoming a cliche. Everybody's like, oh, I just want the Chiefs to win because of Andy Reid. But honestly, it couldn't be said enough. So many people had so much respect for him. He didn't bring the championship home for the Eagles here. But for everybody to try to give it back and say, now I want him to win it. We got ours. I want him to get it. it it's so special. And I know he appreciates it so much. Um Obviously, very cool to see Doug Peterson, someone that was under him, win it before he did, but it makes you appreciate so much more. If Andy Reid left, got it, and then the Eagles and Doug Peterson end up winning a couple years after that, it wouldn't be as special. But now Peterson and Andy Reid are level in that standpoint. So it was really cool, a really good game to watch because Patrick Mahomes, he fought back really hard. Um, Obviously, a little bit of controversy throughout the game with some play calls, but in the Super Bowl, everything is blown up because every single play counts. You saw that when the Eagles played the Patriots, when they're up by 8 or 10 points, whatever it was, and they end up running the Philly special on fourth down. You have to take everything that you can get. So when you see a pass interference called on George Kittle or the lack thereof for uh, Travis Kelsey, I mean, uh, someone, the defender on Travis Kelsey, you know, stuff like that, it, it all adds up. So I understand the frustration for some fans on both standpoints, but honestly, the Chiefs deserve to win that game. 49ers, hats off to them. That's an NFC rival that the Eagles are going to face for years to come because they underwent a really big rebuild uh, before the season. I was telling somebody that, you know, the 49ers, they have one of the, they're a very unique team. They have a lot of younger players that are very special. That defensive line, I was like, man, they got Nick Bosa. They got Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, all studs. Linebacker, they got Quan Quan Alexander, Tevin Coleman at running back, Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, the receivers, young and fast. All those key positions, they got playmakers there, but they've struggled to bring it together. But this year, they did it. I don't even think 49ers fans expected that to happen. So really, really good stuff out of them. And... Although that's they're in the NFC, and I know the Eagles are gonna have to try to match up with them in years to come. Um, I'm excited for them because they're a good team. I like to. I'm not, I'm not gonna support them, obviously, but it was good to see them break out because I know how much the Eagles fans appreciate when the Eagles finally broke out. So it's good to see another city appreciate that kind of stuff. Um, just going forward. Just another rival to add to the Eagles list. Another one, if you see them in the playoffs or you know that they're going to be there in the years to come, um, that you got to circle that matchup and say, hey, we got to go get that one. So a little bit of Super Bowl recap. Just want to say really happy for Andy Reid. And uh, it was a great game overall. But unfortunately, NFL football is coming to a close uh, for the next couple of months, which is sad. It's uh, obviously one of the worst Sundays out of the whole year. Now, as we go on today, I apologize if my voice sounds raspy at all. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. Um, you know, I, I've been really excited for All or Nothing to debut on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, make sure you tune in if you haven't done so already. But I was so excited for it, and I was like, okay, I'm going to take all these notes, pay close attention, so I can give the listeners something to uh, look out for. But, you know, I come down with this cold over the weekend, and I'm thinking, Man, when I finish this, I'm not going to be feeling the best, but I wanted to make sure I enjoyed uh, this moment and got it out as soon as possible. So bear with me if my voice gets a little bit uh, raspy, a little bit different than you've heard it in the past. But um, yeah, that's what's going on. But moving forward in the podcast, right now I'm going to talk about a little bit of way too early expectations for next season. So 
like I said, I don't want to go out and say, okay, uh, you know, Carson Wentz is going to have X amount of yards, um, Brandon Graham's going to have this many sacks, and just go down the list because that's it's way too early for that. I don't know who the Eagles are going to bring in this offseason to add to the roster. Um, I don't want to go out on a limb and say all this stuff when we literally just got into the offseason. We're about a month in, so I'm just going to give it to you broad, but it's still exciting. It's still very exciting to talk about. I'm going to say the Eagles are going to win at least 12 games. My reasoning for this is I understand after 2017 when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, in 2018, everybody expected them to win 12, 13, 14 games. Same thing for this year. They were so hyped hyped up over the offseason. The schedule looked promising. Um, obviously, when they start losing players, then everybody's like, oh, this schedule is tough. But in the offseason, in the summer, when everybody was so excited about these awesome receivers, this, these running backs, a promising secondary that we thought, the schedule looked so easy, in my opinion. I, I had the Eagles at 13-3. and three, And I... Honestly, it was the first year in a long, long, long time. I mean, first year ever, in my opinion, that I said, I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles won every single one of these games. Obviously, that's a little bit of a stretch, but that's just how confident I was in them. That was how confident I was in Carson Wentz bouncing back, Doug Peterson in his third year, fourth year, I'm sorry. Um, These younger players like Miles Sanders, uh, Zach Ertz, the veteran, stepping up. I was very, very confident. But obviously it fell off a lot of due to injury, some coaching issues, uh, front office issues. And what we're going to talk about in the All or Nothing is basically some of the stuff I picked up on is the players understood their mistakes, the coaches understood their mista- mistakes, and Howie Roseman understood his mistakes. So a year of struggle week in week out there was what two games that the eagles handily won it was uh against the bills and against the jets but when you go back and watch those games it wasn't like carson went to the offense were just marching all over them the defense helped a lot special teams helped a lot dallas in week 16 you thought that that was going to be a blowout game just the way it started then Dak Prescott had a chance to tie it up at the end. So there was not that blowout fashion that everybody expected out of the Eagles. Obviously, uh, week one, you got that blowout fashion a little bit, but it's still coming from behind. It still came at an expense because you did lose Malik Jackson, and then all of a sudden all the injuries start happening for the rest of the season. So I just think after an entire season of struggling, the Eagles are going to bounce back really well. And I'm, I saw from you guys' reviews um, that you guys keep giving me, and I really appreciate them. If you haven't done so already on Apple Podcasts, please go rate and review the show. Tell me what you think um, about my performance, what I talk about, stuff like that. But I would say like 90% of them, people are saying, oh, I really like it because he's not giving hot takes. He's not being unrealistic. And I'm staying true to that because that's not the kind of person I am. I, I I tell you how I feel, but it's not blown up. I understand that I'm realistic about the game and the team, the organization. So I'm not trying to go out and have a hot take saying that the Eagles are going to win 12 games because I honestly think that they will. Um, just all in all, just them bouncing back, getting players healthier, having a strong offseason ahead of them. I have full faith in Howie Roseman for building. He understands that you can have a good roster, but if you don't have depth, it's not going to go anywhere. So he knows that he's got to build depth a lot of places, find starters, good amount of places. So I, I'm really confident in him. Doug Peterson is going to coach these players up really well. They got an influx of new coaches. They got an influx of a new medical staff. So it's going to be okay. I'm really confident. There's definitely going to be struggles. There you you don't have a season where you don't have struggles. I mean, the Super Bowl, when the, everybody's going to be remembering that as like the best year in Eagles football. But honestly, you still lost Jason Peters, Jordan Hicks, Darren Sproles, Carson Wentz, all those players going down with injury. So it wasn't all bright and shiny. Obviously, 
the Lombardi Trophy was awesome, but it came with an expense. That's how it's always going to be. You can, the Eagles are going to be competing. They're going to have good seasons, but are there going to be struggles on the way? You bet so. So uh, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be struggles, but I definitely think the Eagles are going to bounce back and play well. Um, so that's my take on that. But a few like more technical expectations I have. I think Miles Sanders is going to be a thousand yard rusher. And that's something that's not going to change no matter what happens this offseason. I'm going to mark that down, mark my words, write in pen. Miles Sanders will be a thousand yard rusher because he showed so much promise. I don't know the status of Jordan Howard going into the offseason, if he's going to be back or not. If he's not, it's wide open for Miles Sanders. If Jordan Howard is back, they still showed that they value Miles Sanders more than Jordan Howard because when Jordan Howard went down, he couldn't play. Miles Sanders stepped up. Jordan Howard came back, obviously didn't seem 100% healthy because he couldn't even see the field that much. They still rode with Miles Sanders, even when he had a banged-up ankle, uh, what, towards MCL in the playoffs. You know, so much, and they still rely on him. So Miles Sanders is the future, and I hope that the Eagles bring back Jordan Howard. But even if they do, I still am going to stay true to that. Now, I said this last offseason. I'm going to say it again. This is probably like the the hottest take I'm going to give you right now. The Eagles aren't going to have an 1,000-yard receiver. And I know when you're going to be listening to this, you're going to be like, what the what, what's the point of saying that the Eagles need to improve at wide receiver blah 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 because that's the topic right now everybody's saying the Eagles biggest hole is at wide receiver and if they don't improve that then the offense isn't going to improve but I'm telling you the Eagles don't need a thousand yard receiver they won't get one and it doesn't matter the offense isn't centered on having a thousand yard receiver because what a lot of people are uh, forgetting Miles Sanders and Boston Scott can still catch the ball very well. They're still going to be implemented into the passing game a lot. You still have two top 10 tight ends in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Really, really good tight ends that you still have to use all the time. You're still going to get, uh, just off the top of my head, Deshaun Jackson, J.J. Arthago-Whiteside, Greg Ward. Those are going to be locks to make the roster again. Alshon Jeffrey, not sure yet. But that's still a good amount of weapons right there to distribute the wealth on offense. However, what players are going to come in? So the wide receiver group that I gave two weeks back in the podcast when I did with Carlos Rodriguez from 4th and John, we both gave an ideal wide receiver group for next season. I said it was going to be Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. And then after that, you're going to get a draft pick in... KJ Hamler, Brandon Ayuk were my picks. And then after that, Philip Dorsett, Greg Ward, and JJ Ortega Whiteside. Man, that sounds good. That's a lot of depth. The Eagles are going to find better ways to implement Greg Ward and JJ Ortega Whiteside with a full offseason of knowing that it could come back down to them again. If injuries happen, they need to make sure that those guys are prepared. So when you have six wide receivers who have starting capabilities, two phenomenal tight ends that you throw them around the league they're going to be starting on mostly all those teams Zach Ertz for sure but Dallas Goddard I could only pick like four or five teams that he wouldn't start on including the Eagles and the running backs the Eagles love to use their running backs to get them out in space so all those things considered you have 10 options now on offense that you can distribute the wealth to not to mention Carson Wentz can still run the ball a little bit too. You still got to feed Miles Sanders on the ground or whatever running back is going to come in here. There's a ton, a ton of options. So to say that someone's going to come in and blow the blow the roof off and have a thousand yards, yeah, I could see it. I could definitely see a thousand yard receiver. But what's more likely is probably a thousand yard tight end, probably Zach Ertz, maybe Dallas Goddard. That's a little bit of a stretch there, but um. I just think, in my opinion, you're going to have wide receivers that complement each other. You're going to have Deshaun Jackson on the team, and you're going to get another speed receiver. I don't care where they come from. I don't care if it's Robbie Anderson or Philip Dorsett from free agency. I don't care if it's Brandon Ayuk or Henry Ruggs in the draft. Whoever it is, they're getting a speed wide receiver. So if you have Deshaun Jackson and another speed wide receiver that do similar things, um, similar foundational skills, then they're going to be splitting the reps. 
they're they're not going to rely too much on Deshaun Jackson, but they obviously can't throw in a draft pick for 80% of the snaps when they still have five other targets that they want to get out there. So that's not going to give you a 1,000-yard receiver. On the other side, the big wide receivers, the Alshon Jeffrey, the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, you still got to feed them. They're going to get the intermediate routes. They're still skilled receivers. Um, I wouldn't say that either of those two receivers, Alshon Jeffrey or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, are going to be capable of a 1,000-yard season. And I just think that's because the Eagles probably want to open up their offense more, rely on tight ends of running backs for the checkdowns, then go deep and just have, uh, you know, your Jeffrey and your J.J. working in the middle. So all I considered, it would be tough to see in a 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, moving forward, I think the Eagles are going to have a division title yet again. For the first time, I think, in the entire 2000s, it would be the first time for a back-to-back division winner in the NFC East. It's always gone back and forth, but they're going to make the playoffs fourth consecutive year and get back-to-back NFC East wins and NFC East titles. Carson Wentz, my expectations for him, I'm going to dive into this later on in the offseason, but I don't, I'm right now I'm not going to say that he's going to be an MVP MVP finalist. That's going to be a really, really tall task. I think he's fifth or sixth odds total right now for MVP consideration. But going against these emerging quarterbacks and Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, uh, other, other great players around the league, I'm not going to set my standards that high for Carson Wentz. He's, go- he's going to have a great year. Don't get me wrong. He's had a s- phenomenal career so far. But to say that he's going to be the best in the league, that's that's a little bit of a stretch right now. I need to see what the offense around him is going to be and how this offense, uh, these offensive minds are going to focus to his needs and you know get him the right plays to utilize his skill set. Um, so I'm not going to sh- say that yet, but I think he's going to have more cons- conversation around him. Last season, he had nobody talking about him at all. Everybody was like, oh, Deshaun Watson's doing so well, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson getting a lot of attention, but Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz had very similar seasons, but Deshaun Watson got all the attention. I think that's going to be reversed. I think Carson Wentz is going to get back into national media. People are going to start talking about him more and appreciate what he's doing. You're not going to have Dan Ravolsky going on first take and have to defend him all the time. People are going to start understanding it league-wide, nationwide, and finally understand, even after getting them into the playoffs, the improbable task of that he's going to step up even more and people are going to talk about Carson Wentz that much more all right there were some of my expectations for the 2020 season uh, but before we get into the all or nothing segment and talking about what I saw out of the whole docu-series we're going to get this short ad out of the way all right everybody welcome back thank you for tuning in um, so I'm going to talk about the all or nothing docu-series it was an eight episode documentary about the Eagles um, really good stuff I'm not going to state the obvious about what really happened because obviously we all were following the Eagles during the season um, a lot of us are probably going to be watching the documentary so I'm not going to go on and tell you what happened every single episode I'm just going to talk about the main takeaways that I had there's a lot of them but I'm just going to run through them so then like I said in the beginning of the podcast if you haven't seen it yet you can take these with you and you can watch it Try to pick them out and decipher it for yourself. Or if you have watched it, we can compare notes and you can see if you picked up on this or what your take was. I'd love to hear back from you guys as well. So I'm um, getting things started. Week one, I was at that game. It was a very hot day, so I don't blame the players for getting tired. But if you remember watching the game or if you watched the documentary, the defense was just drained. They looked terrible because obviously a very hot day but I mean come on you had all off season to prepare for this I think the Eagles really need to step up their conditioning next season get these players ready for the there's a couple games every single season that are going to be played in the heat so make sure you're ready for that make sure you're ready for game speed not just practice speed throwing the ball around in the heat you want to make sure you're ready to give it your all every single play so I think that definitely needs to be a priority that's probably going to be coming with this new and improved medical staff, hopefully there's a new uh, conditioning mind in there that can get these players better prepared or improve their nutrition or warm-ups, whatever it can be. I'm not a medical guy, so I'm not really sure 
what's going to go behind it, but something definitely needs to happen for this team to not look so flat at the start of the season. Um, the energy of the team went through Deshaun Jackson. If you watch it throughout the offseason, throughout week one, man, everybody was so happy for him to be back. He would make a play. Everybody came to congratulate him. So having him on the team is important, but having him do well, the whole team feeds off him. He's a big, big, big part of this team, big personality. And I can only imagine what the team would look like if he was healthy all the way throughout. Um, so later on in the game against the Redskins, Jeff, uh, Alshon Jeffrey scored a touchdown. He had two touchdowns that game. But there was one celebration where um, Carson Wentz threw it to him, comes to congratulate him at the end. And he just like kind of shrugged his shoulder. He acknowledged him a little bit, then just ran away. It wasn't like they embraced each other. And I think if no drama even happened this past season, I wouldn't even look for it. But just because there's rumors of Alshon Jeffrey and Carson Wentz not getting along, um, <clears throat> I'm sure you saw the Jeff McClain piece where the Eagles, Je- or Alshon Jeffrey, didn't go to Carson Wentz's wide receiver meetup in Houston. Carson Wentz bought all them all plane tickets to come down to Houston with him and uh, throw the ball around in the offseason, get to know each other, team bonding. Alshon Jeffrey did not show up. So I was very much so looking forward to seeing if there was any behind-the-scenes look at their relationship and definitely pointed that out uh, when I was watching it. His body language just just seemed off. Um, so the offseason, I, I mentioned weeks and weeks ago, months ago, that I was defending J.J. Ortega-Whiteside because I don't think he got enough attention of the offseason. And All or Nothing definitely showed that the focus of the offseason was around these DNA boys, Deshaun, Nelson, and Alshon. That's about it. In practice, it would be about these wide receivers putting on a show, and then, all right, pack it up. Obviously, they're not showing every single minute of the practice. I'm sure, you know, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Matt Collins, they were getting their work in, but definitely wasn't as much as you would expect and definitely not as much as you would want if you knew that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was going to be the top option later in the season. So I think that definitely had a lot to go into it because these wide receivers were so hyped up. Ortega-Whiteside just kind of fell out of the pack because he was a younger receiver, needed to develop a little bit more. And it was just fun to focus around these DNA boys. So um, that was definitely a noteworthy find that I had right there. Um, So in Atlanta, Wentz just looked lost. And uh, after losing Deshaun and Alshon, it really showed that that was the focus of the offseason. Those two players went down in the offseason, or the offense really just fell apart. He also took a hit to his ribs that game and was just shaken up. He really looked lost. He he regained himself later on, but um, it really showed that the, the lack of preparation from this team just because they wanted to get these focal point wide receivers integrated into the game plan. Nelson Aguilar, I tweeted about this. Nelson Aguilar's drop, oh, watching that again so many different angles, so many different times, was terrible. I'd never want to see that play again. It just made me so upset, even though I knew it was coming. I knew it happened. But also, I kind of forgot about this just because everybody loves Zach Ertz and Nelson Aguilar gets a bad reputation. Zach Ertz did have that potential uh, game-determining play later in the game after the drive with the Nelson Aguilar drop. Went through the Ertz trying to get a first down. Ertz didn't run far enough for the first down. It was a fourth down and really didn't fight that much to get the first down. So he admitted it after the game, I remember, saying that he, he needed to be better um, about that. So that was noteworthy as well. Aglor definitely like had an opportunity to win the game, but Ertz definitely had an opportunity to extend their last drive and possibly win the game. So both of those plays were just bad to watch again. The game against the Lions was just terrible. You had Nelson Aguilar with that weird fumble. Dallas Guy with an awful drop. He, that was a beautiful throw by Carson Wentz in the end zone, corner of the end zone. Matt Collins with a really weird drop as well. J.J. Ortega Whiteside, game-determining drop. Miles Sanders, a fumble. What I found funny after this was because um, all the players after the game, they fall to 1-2 and two after should have been 3-0, and honestly. All these players are like, oh, we're not worried. We'll be back. We'll be back. They kept saying that in 2018 as well. And when I started this podcast, I started picking up on that. And I was saying, 
there has to be some type of urgency with this team. Just because in 2017, 2018, injuries happened and they're like, oh, like we still made it to the playoffs. We won a Super Bowl one year. We we'll, we can just say we'll be back and we'll figure it out. No, you got to have a sense of urgency. There was only 16 games in an NFL season. You dropped two already out of the first three when you're supposed to be one of the best teams in the NFL. You got to get back to work. You can't be looming in the locker room saying, we'll be back and undersell that. You got to get back to work and you got to fight hard. So didn't really like to see all that week in, week out throughout the season when things were getting bad. Eagles need to take more accountability going forward. Um, <clears throat> after that game in practice, there was a scene where Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz were saying that they don't drop passes. The, whenever they drop them, um, they blame it on their gloves or blamed on something else in the game but I thought that was kind of funny just because like that's competitive nature of players like in baseball you see when someone misses a ground ball they'll look up at their glove like there's a hole in it so it was just kind of uh funny but like of all Dallas Goddard needs to focus on controlling the ball a little bit more because he had a few bad drops and a few bad fumbles throughout the season staying with Dallas Goddard him and Avante Avante Maddox I knew that they lived together but Man, I didn't know that these guys were so close. That is an awesome relationship that they have. That house that they have is awesome. They're Nerf Wars. Uh, they go paintballing together, Christmas tree uh, shopping. It's it's awesome. So I'm really happy that the Eagles are building relationships off the field, and these guys are uh, appreciating each other's company. Obviously, things might change when they get a little bit older, but um, for right now, they're having a lot of fun. It's awesome to see. I'm glad that the Eagles or all or nothing, integrate that into the show. Wentz was an awesome leader at Green Bay when things were getting tough or the game was becoming a shootout. He was always congratulating people, hyping people up, so really good stuff out of him. When Avante Maddox went down with that scary head injury, he said to the trainers, we have one minute left. I'm going to finish this. He is down on the ground, half paralyzed, fractured neck, or sprained neck, I'm sorry. And he's telling the Eagles medical staff that he wants to finish the game because they were a couple plays away from that Nigel Bradham interception that ended up sealing the deal. Man, that that is heart. That is courage for Avante Maddox to say that. That was awesome. I'm really glad they included that as well because, wow, I think I, I couldn't imagine suffering that kind of hit and saying, <clears throat> I can't move, I need a cart, and then starting to regain feeling and you say you want to go back into the game. That's crazy. The next week, I really like the insight on the fake field goal before the Vikings. They were practicing in practice. They started to get like their swagger back in practice because they got back to 500. Jake Elliott and Dallas Goddard were working on that field goal, uh, fake field goal attempt for a while, but they just didn't really execute it well in the game. Obviously, Jake Elliott ended up throwing an interception, but it just shows that Doug Peterson has that creative preparation. Um, he wants to integrate these creative plays. If you read his autobiography, he comes up with these plays, like the Philly special. He finds them or creates them. Then they'll practice them, and then they get into the game. They see what the defense is like, see what the special teams is like, and then they'll say, hey, this is a great opportunity to execute this. So it's great that he has that mindset. I'm really happy. Obviously, it didn't work out well. The Eagles end up losing that game, but uh, really cool to see that he has that kind of background to him. There was a segment on just Malcolm Jenkins, how he likes to talk trash. He was talking about Philly fans and how they uh, want to see some of that Talks a lot of crap on the field, but also they like to see people doing a lot of great stuff off the field. They talked about Malcolm Jenkins with the uh, Players Coalition and all of his social injustice work. Awesome stuff. He is a great leader, but also a great figure for the entire United States. So really proud of him. But um, what I thought was cool was because when he was talking about how people like when you talk trash on the field, they showed a few scenes of him mic'd up. And finally, we got to see the the audio behind I this is the first time I saw it I don't know if it was ever out there before but first time I heard the audio in the Super Bowl when the Patriots ran that trick play Tom Brady dropped the ball Jenkins was right up on him he smacks him the butt and he's like come on Tom come on and just getting in his face like that was awesome uh really good energy it was really cool to see that and in Minnesota they carried over Jenkins uh this is like the only like 
dramatic part that I really picked out from this documentary that I really didn't know. Jenkins looks to Sidney Jones and he says, we're waiting on you to switch it on. And your demeanor, your body language, everything, flip that switch. So he's trying to say to Sidney Jones, like, everybody's saying you're a bust. You're kind of a bust right now. So kick kick up your uh, work ethic, your body language, everything. Turn it on. Become that player everybody that everybody wants you to be. If you remember, Sidney Jones laid up that touchdown on uh, Adam Thielen in that game. So Malcolm Jenkins was probably a little bit fed up and just trying to improve him. It's never negative. Um, he wants the best out of his defense. And I'm glad that he said that because Sidney Jones ended up finished the season very strong. Um, Doug Peterson made it very clear after the Dallas loss that they have to really step up and own it. There was a lot of hype going into the game, Jalen Mills coming back, Dallas week, and all that, but Doug Peterson just said, that was pathetic, and you guys can go tell the reporters, you guys can take all the accountability, because there's no reason they should have been blown out that game. So I'm glad Doug Peterson finally stood up and uh talk to them to make sure that they had to understand their mistakes rather than just saying, no, we'll be fine. We'll look ourselves in the mirror, blah, blah, blah. I'm really glad that Doug Peterson finally manned up and gave his team the preparation and the talk that they needed. Um, after the Orlando Scandrick drama, I'm not going to get too far into that because everybody's familiar with it. Um, after he called up, called out Malcolm Jenkins and the team, Jenkins really took control of that defense. That was kind of his turning point in the season. He started off the season kind of slow, but man, he turned it on. That was the motivation that he needed. But he kicked it up in the locker room uh, with players around him. He really became a focal point of that defense that everybody knows that he should be. But that was the extra motivation that he really needed to kick it up. And like he said to Sidney Jones, Malcolm Jenkins, he flipped that switch. So um, Orlando Skandrick, I know you're definitely not listening to this, but uh, thank you so much for all those negative things that you said about the Eagles that week and weeks in the uh, future because, man, the Eagles wouldn't have been that motivated if it wasn't for you. So really hats off to you. You're not on an NFL team and going and saying everything about a team that released you. So um, that's <laughs> – I'm not going to comment too much on that. But, uh, yeah, it was it was cool to see that the Eagles got the last laugh of all of that. Um, when the Eagles were playing the Patriots, obviously really tough loss, but – Brandon Graham, I mean, he was the focal point of this entire documentary. When he was calling Tom Brady Tim, that was so funny because he's he's saying to everybody, we're not going to see Tom Brady today. He's going to be somebody different. We're going to make him somebody different. So he just kept calling him Tim. So he would, uh, they'd get a three and out. He'd run back on the sideline. He'd be like, oh, Tim, like we got Tim off the field. It was so funny. I love that energy from him and kind of something that he can use as motivation. Um, in the New England game, Brandon Brooks said to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, you made a big play when we needed that. Remember that. So Brandon Brooks, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, they can hear what fans say. They know that everybody's calling J.J. a bust. They've seen him drop passes and everything, but then he finally stepped up and made a big play. So Brandon Brooks kind of says, says to him, block out all the noise from everybody. Make your impact and remember when you did because it'll grow that confidence in you. Uh, in the future. So I'm glad that Brandon Brooks really stepped up. It's kind of like what Jason Peters does. He steps up and gives people that motivation when need be, kind of gives them the push in the right direction. Um, Nelson Aguilar, that drop against New England, just as bad as the one against the Falcons. But what I saw was Wentz didn't really sulk in it. He took off his helmet, walked off the field. He was, he was never like, oh, come on, like, getting all mad. He was mic'd up that game. He was never, like, upset, visibly upset. Then on the sideline, he picked up Aguilar. He said, you're all right, man. You got it next time. So really good leader. Um, leadership stuff out of Wentz, and I'm glad that he picked Aguilar up even after a terrible drop, something that um, Aguilar has struggled with. But Wentz did everything in his power to win that game, and the receiving end couldn't follow through on it. But Wentz still stayed true to himself and his leadership abilities. They had some little interview with Harry Roseman when he was driving in the car, and he he was kind of spoke on the passion of the fans. He understands the pressure, uh, but he he just said he trusts himself and how he understands the game. He mentioned how one time his son was telling him, "Come on, Dad, like we're not going to make a move at the trade deadline." He was probably referring to this past year 
because they were rumored with Jalen Ramsey, Robbie Anderson, all these top players end up just getting Jannard Avery and then nothing else after that. But I, I'm really happy. Harry Roseman definitely made a couple mistakes this season, but for him to understand the game that well and know when to walk away and know when to benefit your team, uh, I'm really confident with him as the general manager. That was a really cool segment. Brandon Brooks utilizing the martial arts as a hobby and a way to get better. It shows how much of a hard worker he is. He goes into a martial arts studio, works on his uh, his handwork, and really to you know blow some steam off and help with his anxiety issues, but also um, improve his, his handwork on the field. So that was really cool to see. And his whole uh, opening up about his anxiety issues, obviously that went public during the season, but seeing a little bit more into it was really cool. I'm really happy that Brandon Brooks is open about it, and he allows his teammates to help him out, so uh, proud of him for all that work. The game against the Seahawks the first time around was definitely Wentz's worst game of his career. It was terrible watching that again, all the turnovers, lack of scoring, awful, but I'm glad he bounced back from it. On the other hand, the defense against Miami was atrocious. The defense played really well against the Seahawks, the Patriots, and then they just fell apart, letting Miami control them the entire the entire game. And um, they they improved later in the season. They were a little bit better before in the season, but that I mean that's just inexcusable. You can't go into a game against a team that's two and nine and expect just to march right over them, especially first play from the Dolphins' offense. You get an interception. Ronald Darby picks off the ball. Um, you, it's not going to happen every single drive. You got to play hard. You got to play through every single series. Um, going into the end of the season, when the Eagles are—I think it was going into the Monday Night Football game against the Giants, when the Eagles are really thin at wide receiver. Josh McCown is running routes in practice, but then also pregame warmups, and then um, Alshon Jeffrey goes down. And he's telling somebody on the sideline, "Hey, go get my helmet." And, in case I have to go in, and it was just so funny, all the players reacting to it, but Josh McCown, man, he is something else, all those segments about him talking to the players, he's a great leader, and for a 40-year-old uh, year old quarterback to tell somebody, hey, I might go in at wide receiver and be prepared for it, whew, that is leadership, that is courage, so really cool to see, I hope Josh McCown comes back to Philly in some capacity sometime in his career as a coach. Um, Deshaun's hype speech at the end of the season, I believe it was before the Dallas game, it was really weird. Nobody really responded to him. He's trying to hype them up. Nobody's giving any type of feedback. I don't know if people are just disappointed that he's hurt. That kind of happened when um, Lane Johnson got suspended back in 2016, I think. Yeah, 2016. Um, He said that people were visibly upset with him because he let the team down. But, like, it's not like Deshaun Jackson let the team down. It's just an injury. But I don't know what that was all about because week one, it was a whole different story. Everybody's so happy for him. Then he tries to give back to the team and hype him up for their biggest game of the entire season. And everybody just straight-faced with him, especially after a win. So that was a little bit weird, but I'm not going to read too much into it. I know Deshaun Jackson is a big leader of this team. The burn the ships thing with Zach Ertz and how they put the audio with the pregame warm-ups and all that, that was so, so, so cool. Um, that was a really good story later in the season. Um, I really enjoyed reading about that and the message behind it, but that was a really cool part of the whole documentary. Jason Peters in the huddle versus Dallas when they're kind of struggling, they're kind of going on a drought without scoring. He says to them, like, he's like, Miles, you in? Like, you ready? Zach Ertz, like, you feeling good? He's hyping everybody up, and he's saying, let's go win here. He's like, give it all you got. Jason Beers, like I said earlier, he's one of those players that people are going to listen to him. He he speaks when he only when he needs to, but when he does, it is heard. He said that to Jake Elliott when uh, Jake Elliott was missing field goals early in his career, and he's just saying, no more misses. And he told Carson Wentz late in the season, hey, protect the ball for me. He's like, I will. And then he ended up doing that. So um, just having that kind of leadership, I know people get a little bit fed up with Jason Peters because of his struggling on the field. He's getting older. He's got the false start issue. But, man, his leadership is unmatched. 
going uh, about Wentz's fumbles, when they showed, it was, I guess, at an elementary school, Carson Wentz came to visit them, and he brought a few players, and this one kid says to Carson Wentz, like, how are you feeling about the game? And he's like, yeah, good. And he's like, oh, one more question I got for you. What's up with all the fumbles? And Wentz just, he's just like, oh, like, that's behind us. But and he, he got back to the players. He's like, that's, this is crazy. It just shows how the whole city is so invested into the Eagles, even if it's a second grader. Um, they understand what's going on. And if they have the opportunity to talk to Carson Wentz, they're going to say it to him. So that was kind of funny, a uh, little fun part of the the segment, I'm glad they included that, and Carson Wentz, he didn't take anything personal, but um, definitely shows that he understands the passion of the entire city. Um, lastly, last part of the podcast, I mean, the, the documentary, the fans, Josh McCown, he was visibly upset after the game when they lost to the Seahawks in the playoffs. He cried on the field with Zach Ertz, and then cried in the tunnel, but in between that, when he's walking off, keep in mind, this is in Philly. They lose the game. They lose Carson Wentz due to a concussion. And people are crowding around the tunnel, cheering for Josh McCown, giving him a standing ovation walking off the field. When they lost, they're out of the playoffs. Their season is over. That is That speaks volumes for the appreciation that, they, that the city has for Josh McCown, the team. That was a really cool sight to see. And... Josh McCown, after the game, when his press conference, like, I already saw it, but seeing it again, after watching the highlights from the game and the documentary, it, it was very emotional. Um, Listen to him talk about his experience, how much he appreciated the Eagles bringing him in, but also how much he appreciated his family, his friends, uh, the whole organization. Like, it was it was very powerful. Um, that was an awesome part. And Josh McCown, we we love you in Philly. And if you want to come back as a coach, I know you're not, you're, nobody's going to rush you. But um, if you want to come back as a coach, Philly will always welcome you with open arms. All right, everybody, like I said, I'm going to end things off with another chill your take segment. I hope you enjoyed that about the All or Nothing podcast. If you got any other ideas, you saw anything that I didn't, uh, send me a message, send me a tweet, and uh, we'll be happy to discuss it. But um, chill your take, two little short segments that we got here. So first of all, Des Bryant just had a tweet the other day saying how he doesn't want to be the focal point of an offense. He wants to return to the NFL, doesn't want to be a focal point of the offense, but in a limited role, he thinks he can dominate. And a lot of people are like, oh, Des to Philly? I'm saying no. That <laughs> Des Bryant hasn't played in, what, two years? He was signed by the Saints in 2018, ends up tearing his Achilles before he can even play a game. And then 2019 didn't play at all, so... It's like the same conversation that people have with Colin Kaepernick. It's almost like he's so far removed from the league that is it even worth bringing him back? Is he going to be at that NFL level ready? He's not getting NFL attention like as far as medical and training goes. So first of all, he's probably not even in the best shape. That's my argument there. But then also, he's a physical receiver. He's a big physical receiver, but the Eagles are already having kind of players like that with Alshon Jeffrey and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I talked with Elliot Shore Parks last week about the possibility of trading Alshon Jeffrey. That's definitely on the table. But if Alshon Jeffrey sticks around, you already have your physical receiver. You already have Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, too, that can do the same thing. So the Eagles need speed. They don't need to bring in Des Bryant. And I know early in his career he had speed, but, man, he's out, he's been out of the league for two years. So... He's not going to be the kind of athlete that he used to be. I'm saying, no, I do not want Des Bryant in Philly. And it's it's one of those things where, yeah, he'd be cheap, most likely. He wouldn't require a lot of snaps, but the Eagles can do a lot better focusing on the draft or free agency to bring someone in with a bigger impact. My last part is uh, a lot of people are saying that they're upset with the Eagles not getting an offensive coordinator. I heard it on a podcast or two. I heard it on Twitter, uh, social media. You know, it's okay. And I want to credit this information I have to Adam Kaplan and Inside the Birds podcast. I listen to that all the time. If you haven't, make sure you check that out, the leading inside um, content for the Eagles. But Kaplan and Jeff Mosher were just saying that, you know, the Eagles didn't get their top offensive coordinators because they said that it was going to be a long process. If they were going to wait three weeks to decide, then a a team like the Ravens wasn't going to let their assistants 
wait three weeks and then possibly lose them and then now they're late in the game to get another replacement so you wouldn't want for instance the 49ers say that they have an opening for offensive coordinator and do Staley's up for it if they're saying okay we're going to take about a month to make this decision you're not going to say okay yeah we'll, we'll give to Staley an interview we'll wait a month and then if he ends up going then now we're in february and we're out without an offensive coordinator or an assistant head coach i should say that's not fair to the team on the other side so i completely understand that and they're in good hands right now they got they still got most of their offensive minds there but promoting press taylor uh, they got a few more minds coming in from the outside which i thought was super important it's going to be like a council they're going to break it up into departments with that doug peterson oversee everything i think they're going to be in good hands and if the offense excels this year then they can uh, look to get an offensive coordinator the next year or two but without mike grow i think the offense is going to be in much better hands and the play calling is going to be much better so looking forward to it nobody should be upset the eagles didn't get an offensive coordinator obviously it'd be really cool to see a top name come in bring all these ideas in but honestly the offense is going to be okay um it's it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it but i'm fully confident so you shouldn't be worried i'm just telling you guys that just because they don't have an offensive coordinator doesn't mean that the offense isn't going to be good i think it's going to be very very good next season talked about that a little bit in my expectations with uh wentz and sanders but it's okay the four niners ran without an offensive coordinator this past year and they did they just did just fine so uh no need to worry that's all i got for you guys today hope you enjoy the discussion talked about a lot of stuff but uh main topic the all or nothing the all or nothing documentary make sure you check that out if you haven't done so already that's on amazon prime video really really cool um to see our eagles in a different kind of viewpoint a little bit extra information that you might not get just throughout the season watching games. So hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for always listening. If you haven't done so, go back and listen to our, my previous podcast. Um, a lot of great content coming to this whole off season. So make sure you stay tuned. Best way to do so is uh, follow us on sh- social media, Birds Banter on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe on your favorite platform so you never miss another Birds Banter. And of course, go Birds.